You found a podcast where you'll hear the truth And we will praise Jesus' name We stand for the Bible and won't back down from it Although it don't bring much fame Some folks will like it, some will try to deny it But God's word will always stand true Tried in the fire, still good in this Hello, friends and faithful listeners. It's time for the Pod King Bible Study. I'm your co-host, Donald King, and I'm joined by the host of this study, Brother Donnie King. On this podcast, we study the Bible from its original languages so we can understand the Word of God more clearly. We look at current events and news in light of Scripture, and we also examine some of the things going on within our culture from a biblical perspective. This is Friday, May the 5th, special edition number 80. You only thought you knew the Ten Commandments. In our last study, we gained some understanding of this woman who is sitting on the waters and the beast that is with her. They were gearing up for battle against the Lamb, but we learned that God put this in their hearts to do. This woman is that great city which will fall and become the habitation of devils. God's people were commanded to come out of her, for her sins have reached into heaven, and he remembered her iniquities. God has filled her cup with a double portion. We believe you will find some valuable info here today. But in today's episode, we go through the Ten Commandments, and we point out some of the lesser-known things concerning them. We look at the original way they are understood, and then we look at some of the Jewish understanding of these commands. Every believer should know the Ten Commandments, and every believer should live them as well. If you don't know what they really mean, how can you actually obey them or live them? Are we still bound to all 10 of these commands? Will we find a couple of them very different from what we originally thought? Listen in today, and you will have these questions answered. Now for the teaching of God's Word and the lesson for today. I'll turn it to the host of our podcast, Brother Donnie King. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're in for a treat. This is going to be one of those episodes which you will not easily forget. Well, it seems like this is another topic that most Christian people are well-versed on. So, I figured you'll have your work cut out for you today. Well, that's true, but I count it as a good thing. Yeah, that is a good way of looking at it, I reckon. Well, most people don't realize that the Ten Commandments are in the Bible twice. In Exodus chapter 20, that's the most commonly known one, but they're also found again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Oh my, I didn't realize that myself. See, you only thought you knew the Ten Commandments. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In one way, I debated on doing just the Ten Commandments, but I don't think anyone would be much interested in an episode that dealt with all of the commandments in the Bible. Oh, yeah? And why do you think that? Well, the main reason is that there's 613 commands found within Scripture, according to the rabbis and Jewish scholars. Oh, (laughs) wow. Yeah, that would have taken a while to do that. If we only took one minute per commandment, that would take over 10 hours to simply give an overview of every one of them. Well, no wonder most people only mentioned there being 10 commandments then. Yeah, you (laughs) might just be onto something here. But I think most people think that the 10 that we'll be examining today are still yet way too many. Well, I've often wondered why God gave us 10 specific commands, not 7, not 12, or some other random number. That's true, but the Jews have a pretty good belief concerning that. They go back to Genesis chapter 1, and there are exactly 10 times that God speaks during the creation account. And the Jews call the Ten Commandments the Ten Words, which is what they're termed in Hebrew. 
Why would they be referred to as 10 words? Well, word in Hebrew is closer to a saying or a statement. So that's why. In English, word means just literally one word, but it means a whole statement or a saying in Hebrew. Since there's no doubt that these statements are definite commands, we call them the Ten Commandments today. Well, that much makes sense. There is something else about the Ten Commandments that I want to point out before we get started going through them one by one. What is it? Our national laws here in America were originally based off of these Ten Commandments. America got her morality from knowing the Word of God. That is amazing, and it shows how far we have gone away from God, too. That's right. And to top it all off, our first textbooks in our schools were originally Bibles. I wish it was still that way here today. Our first colleges, they started off as seminaries. So in technicality, they were actually Bible colleges from the beginning. My goodness. Now we've many Bible colleges that have gone liberal in recent years. That's for sure. Some of them even denied the virgin birth, the resurrection, the deity of Christ, and several other key doctrines. Yeah, I've heard if they have a conservative come to speak on many campuses that the student body will boycott it. Yes, they will. For years, it was just a given that every kind of mainline denominal church believed in the Ten Commandments, and they taught them. Right. They not only taught them, but they taught it was a sin to break them. Now, you'll make some people mad, even in our Pentecostal holiness churches, if you bear down on certain ones of these commandments. Several preachers still preach and teach the Ten Commandments, but they interpret their meanings very differently than the way that the Bible states them. To me, this has caused a lot of problems. And it's caused a lot of people to question whether there's still Ten Commandments today or not. I know a lot of people uh, who believe there's only nine commandments today. They leave out the one about the Sabbath. That's right. And I know a lot of people who teach that there's really only five or six commandments. Where do they get that? They say that Jesus only brought that many into the New Testament. Uh, That is just wrong. Well, when a person or a group or even a nation begins to ignore the commandments of God, destruction is not far away. Amen. That is true. The Ten Commandments shows us who God is, and they describe what he's like to us. The law is really an expression of the lawgiver's heart and his character. The commandments not only shows us what God wants, they show us what God is like. Yeah, they tell us what matters to God. You can't disdain the law without disrespecting the lawgiver. That's right. The Ten Commandments sets us apart from the world. Amen. As Christians, we're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, according to 1 Peter 2 and 9. Let me read that for you. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We must be prepared to stand for the word of God, for his kingdom, and in this hour, we must be prepared to stand alone. We must be prepared to look different and to live by rules that the world doesn't live by nor understand. We aren't always the holy people that we should be, but that's what God has called us to be. We are God's people, not our own. We're set apart to live according to God's ways. The Ten Commandments doesn't strip us of our freedom, but in reality, they provide us with freedom. Many people think of the Ten Commandments as constraining, but 1 John 5 and 3 tells us that his laws are not burdensome. Amen. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They're not weighing us down. The Ten Commandments are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. Many people think that, well, if I start living by the Ten Commandments, I'll be saved. No, because you're saved, you do live by the Ten Commandments. That's right. There are rules for free people to stay free. Amen. The Ten Commandments doesn't save us, but they do help us live a born again lifestyle. 
We've been talking a while, and you haven't even gotten started on the commandments. <laughs> You're right. But I do want to say this right before I begin. We will look at the original belief concerning what each command means, and then we're going to look at one or more ways of how to understand these commands. Well, if there are two or three ways to understand each commandment, wouldn't that mean we actually have 20 to 30 commandments then? Not necessarily, but that is implied. Seriously. If there are several ways to understand these commandments, wouldn't it make a little more confusing when it comes to deciding which way to believe them? Not really, for I believe that we should abide by every meaning they carry, not just the one that we like the best. That's what most people do. They pick the way that they like understanding it, and they live by that way. There are multiple ways to see these, and I think you'll find that they all link together and are connected. Let's begin. The first commandment is found in Exodus 20, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does this mean, and what all can it mean? When it speaks of a god, it speaks of a literal idol, a false god, or an image. This would speak of those who live in foreign nations, and these people go out and they'll take a lump of wood, and carve a face on it, set it up, bow down, and worship it. This would include statues of Buddha and such too, right? Yes, for it doesn't matter if it's a porcelain Buddha or a stone cut out of bell or a piece of wood that was carved out to look like some character that you've made up in your mind. It doesn't matter. It's all idolatry. One thing some people do miss about this commandment, though, is that anything that we elevate above God or anything that we love more than we love God is also included in this. So that means we could put our house a loved one, or, or even sports in God's place, and make them a God to us. That is exactly right. And then they would be the God that is before the Lord God in your life. Do what? you want to know an amazing fact here? What is it? This first commandment is the one that is broken more than any of the others. Are you serious? How's that? Think of it this way. Are there more people who are born again or more people who are lost? Uh, I'd say there are many more lost than there are who are saved. Everyone who is lost is serving someone or something else. That's why they're lost. So idolatry is the number one commandment that's being broken today. The second commandment is found in Exodus 20 in verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Well, there seems to be only one way to understand this command. Well, maybe. Well, we're not to make a God and worship it. This specifies a type of God or an idol that one might make to worship or to procure favor from. But there is another way to interpret this command as well. Okay. Tell us what that is. This also means that we're not to worship the works of our own hands. That's literally self-worship. This commandment takes a swing at our pride and what we can accomplish. A lot of people don't look at it when you look in here and you read that and it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. This is speaking of the things that you can do with your own hands. And the things that I can do with my own hands is the things that I will normally have pride in. Man is prone to exalt what he can do. Think of the guy that's really good at anything and think of how he conducts himself when he's speaking about it. There are some people that will tell you, I'm the best you've ever heard at playing this instrument, or I'm the best that you've ever seen at playing this kind of game. What he is doing is he is saying, hey, I have crafted myself to where I can do this so good. In other words, he's made himself an image in his own hands. He's made his own image, and he's wanting you to worship it like he does. We're prone to exalt what we can do. We're prone to exalt what we can accomplish. And this leads us to worship ourselves because we have this ability. I can see that. I just never have thought of it that way. An idol is the work of one's hand. 
And anything that man does is a work of his hands. So the two thoughts are very much connected here. Not only is it saying, don't carve out an idol, don't make a graven image, don't etch anything. It's also telling us, be careful what you do, because if you're not careful, you'll worship the very things that you're doing. Oh, boy. We better move on to the next commandment after all this. Okay, the third commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, this is generally understood as meaning that you shouldn't cuss or use bad language. It also includes the use of the name of God in a light manner or in a manner which is not a prayer. Yeah, this includes saying like, oh, Lord, or I'll use the abbreviation OMG. Yes, a lot of people use those. And if you're not saying it in prayer, you are taking that name and using it in a manner that's not fit. 99% of the time when people say these things, they aren't praying them. No, that's correct. I believe it would do all of us good to know just how sacred that the Jews believe the name of God to be. Okay. Why don't you take a moment and explain that to us? First off, they believe that the name of God was so holy and it was so holy and reverend. It needed to be revered in such a way when they were writing, they would not even spell his full name as they wrote. They wouldn't even pronounce the name of God for fear of misusing it or using it in a way that was not righteous. The high priest would only use the full name of God on the Day of Atonement as he mediated the offerings for the sins of the nation. Uh, That is simply amazing right there. Well, it goes even farther than this, though. For the scribes, as they would begin to write about God, they had a process they had to go through in order just to write the abbreviated form of the name of God. What kind of process are you talking about? Well, when they would begin to write the name of God, they would get to that name, and then they would stop. They would go and they'd completely wash themselves. They would get a new writing instrument that had never been used before. Then they would go and they would dip it into whatever substance they were using, ink or what have you. And then they would write the name of God. Then they would destroy the writing instrument so no other name would be used in writing with it. They would go wash themselves again and resume writing like they had been before. Oh, my. This should show us just how lightly we take the name of the Lord in comparison. By the way, there's yet another way that this commandment could be taken as well. Go on, tell us. The main meaning in this verse has still not even been covered. The main meaning is that we are bearing and carrying God's image when we claim to be his. If you claim to be a Christian today, you are carrying, you are bearing that name of the Lord. This is a command telling us that we should live up to our claims. Absolutely right. It does exactly that. But it's also a command that tells us that we should live worthy of his name. To do otherwise would be to bear his name in vain or with nothing to back it. All you have is a flimsy claim that, yes, I'm a Christian, but then you go out and live like the devil. We realize that this is a command to stop hypocrisy. Well, you might need to give an altar call before we finish this episode. Well, I'm getting ready to preach. I tell you, (laughs) I believe our American Christianity has watered down so many things in recent years that we don't understand some of these things. How many people in the audience has always looked at this command as be careful how you carry the name of the Lord? We always look at it as thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So we're not going to say his name in a cuss word. We're not going to use his name in slang, and we'll just be careful that way. But how many have not said those words but then played the part of a hypocrite? 
that right there is what God's more concerned about than anything. If you live in a good manner and you live in a holy manner, you're not going to say things that, that tear his name down anyway. We understand some of these things, but I believe that overall we're losing our reverence of God in this country. The fourth commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 8. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is a command for Israel to honor the seventh day of creation on which God rested. I want to point out this. It also is pointing forward to our eternal rest in heaven, and it could maybe even be an allusion to the millennium. And for some people, this is only a statement telling us to go to church on Sunday. You're right. That's the way that a lot of people interpret this. This is how I keep the Sabbath holy. Well, it's much more than that. I believe it's well worth noting that the Sabbath, though, is not Sunday. A lot of people call Sunday the Sabbath day, but that is not correct. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The Sabbath was given to the Jews by God, and it was to be observed from sundown on Friday evening until sundown Saturday evening. Yeah, but many people refer to Sunday as the Sabbath still yet today. Yeah, the early church took the Lord's Day as their day of worship, though. They took that day to worship on it, they honored and respected it, and they no longer observed the Jewish Sabbath. After the resurrection of Christ, go through the New Testament, go through the Bible. You'll never find it mentioned anywhere that the church was required to keep the Old Testament Sabbath. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to live holy, because it's implied that we must keep all days holy now. And how do we do that? By living a holy life every day that we live. Interesting enough, the Seventh-day Adventists believe that the mark of the beast is to take the original Sabbath and change it to Sunday. But that's not what we have done. The Sabbath has not changed days. The Sabbath is still the original day it was. We worship on a different day, though. Our day of worship and our mode of worship is what's been changed. We haven't changed the Sabbath and made it a different day. That's what they accuse all of us from doing. Y'all taken the Sabbath from Saturday and made it Sunday. We didn't change the Sabbath. The Sabbath is still the same. We worship on a different day of the week now. Our mode of worship is what has changed. Would you clarify that for our audience? The early church felt that it was necessary to worship Jesus on the day that he rose from the dead. It was so important to them that he resurrected on the first day of the week. They determined this must be the day he would be pleased with us to worship him. So the mode of worship has changed as well. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals on the Sabbath. But now we worship the risen Christ. There's a huge difference in the manner of worship, and it's changed days. Now, on keeping the Sabbath, you could argue that this is a Jewish command for the Jews to continue keeping that day. The church, the New Testament believers in Jesus Christ, was never commanded to keep the Sabbath, but we were told to honor the Lord's day. So let's move on to the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 12. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the earth. Now, this is a very self-explanatory command for us to honor and respect those who gave birth to us. Didn't Jesus say that this is the only commandment with a promise attached to it? Yes, he did. And obedience to this commandment promises long life to those who keep it. Is this a guarantee that those who honor their parents will live to be older than those who dishonor their parents? You know, there may be an element of truth in that. I'm not going to say it doesn't mean that at all, 
for those who live dishonorably are probably going to die younger anyway through their rebellious and reckless lives that they live. But does that mean that a person that died at 20 in a car wreck or somebody that died at 47 with a heart attack that they just obviously didn't honor their mother or father? That's not what it's saying. We, we can't read that into everybody's personal life. What's going on here is I believe it's a reference to eternal life that they'll receive for living upright. You know, I never put that together, but I, I like that. Well, this commandment was part of a debate that Jesus had with the religious elite of his day. Yeah, well, it all started when they accused Jesus of not washing before he ate, if I remember that right. They transgressed a commandment by honoring one of their man-made traditions. The Pharisees taught that people could dedicate resources like food or money unto God. They could give that unto God rather than giving them to their father or mother. Doing things this way, they didn't have to get rid of their possessions. What they would do is they'd say they gave it to God, but yet they would keep it. If their father or mother fell into need, they'd say, well, I've given it to God. I can't give it to you. Well, (laughs) this was a way they could redirect their things and still appear very pious. That's true. If a man had a parent who was poor and needy, instead of wasting their money or their possessions on that parent, they could donate their stuff to God, and it looked so religious. This way, they could feel so religious while at the same time shafting their parents. This was explicitly breaking the fifth commandment. They believed that giving to God was greater than honoring their father and their mother. These pious Jews felt so good about themselves, they totally overlooked their own greedy hearts. You know, it's hard to fathom how these religious people could break one of the Ten Commandments and yet feel as if they were doing good. That's right. Let me read you a couple verses here in Mark chapter 7. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother. Jesus says, you're telling your parents it's Corbin. That is to say, I've made it a gift. I've given it as a gift unto God. The parents who raised them and who took care of them would sometimes fall into need as they got older. They withheld from their parents what they needed as they claimed to have given their stuff to God as an offering. The idea behind all of this is that the Jews taught whatever you dedicated to God could never be used for anything else. In other words, if you dedicated something to the Lord, you couldn't give any of that substance to your needy parents. That's right. And to break a commandment is a sin, remember? But they were breaking a commandment that God gave them, not a commandment man gave them. So Jesus was accusing those religious elites of being sinful. Absolutely right. Their main sin was that they were breaking their fifth commandment by not honoring their father and their mother. Let's move on and look at the sixth commandment. It's found in Exodus 20 and 13. Thou shalt not kill. With a command so simple, it seems there would be no confusion that could come from it. You would think that, but of course, there's a lot of argument over how to interpret this. In the Hebrew, this command is actually closer to thou shalt not murder. To take someone's life in any way other than self-defense is murder. Well, wasn't there a stipulation in the Old Testament that gave exception to the man who killed someone, but he didn't do it on purpose? You're right. And this is the whole reason that the cities of refuge were created. If a man killed someone by accident or without malice involved, he could flee to one of those six cities and find refuge. He could be granted asylum because he did do wrong in killing a man, but he was also somewhat innocent because he didn't premeditate it. Amen. And before we move on, I want to throw something else in here. This command, thou shalt not kill, could also be understood as a warning against those who kill people's influence by running them down. This is also known as libel and slander. To slander someone is to act like the devil. 
Yes, because he is the accuser of the brethren. This also means that you can't hate your brother or sister in Christ, according to 1 John 3 and 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If you hate them, you are the same as a murderer. Well, when you put it that way, reckon how many murderers we've been in church with before. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the seventh commandment. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> seventh commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is definitely not a popular topic anymore. I know it, and I'm not one to walk on eggshells either, so here goes nothing. This means that you're not to have an affair against your spouse. Now, does this only speak of being involved in physical contact? I personally believe and preach and teach it would include flirting with others, secretly meeting for meals together with others than your spouse, texting them, trading pictures with them, emailing them. This all leads into emotional affairs, and emotional affairs always end up in physical affairs. So you're saying it's everything leading up to the very act, right? Absolutely, because the sin of adultery is happening in your heart long before you act upon it. This commandment also means you're not to have multiple living spouses. When you divorce your spouse and remarry while your first spouse is alive, you are committing adultery on your first spouse. A lot of people disagree with that mode of interpretation here, but I do believe it's right. Well, I understand there's numerous scenarios to consider, and every case is different. I realize that. There's no way that I can incorporate every situation into this concise answer and say, well, but if this has happened, if that's taking place across the board, this is called adultery in Scripture. And I'm going to give you a couple of places to look at to prove my point here. Matthew 19 and 9 says, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, his wife that's living, except it be for fornication, which is before marriage, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. So if you put your wife away and you marry somebody else, you commit adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doeth commit adultery. Your wife has been married before that you put away. So she marries again. Now she's in adultery. Mark 10, verse 11 and 12. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. This isn't the only definitions of adultery. This would also include lust, of which Jesus condemned as adultery in Matthew 5 and 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Many people overlook the fact that this is also a warning against spiritual adultery here. Spiritual adultery is also known as idolatry, isn't it? Yes, and this is where you leave your first love and you fall in love with someone or something else. Oh my, this subject sure getting deep. This, I believe, is why adultery is so wrong. Because it shows the picture of how that we come unto God and we supposedly love him. And then if we're not careful, our hearts will love someone or something else and we'll turn from God and follow some other God and do some other thing. And it shows that we're committing spiritual adultery on God. That's how a woman or man feels that that happens to in a relationship. That's why it's sinful, even in humans, to do that to one another the way that we do God when we turn from him. The eighth commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 15. Thou shalt not steal. We're not to take anything that is not ours. We're not to take someone else's possession as our own. 
Thankfully, we have finally gotten to one of the most straightforward commandments. Well, don't start rejoicing too soon. I'm not done yet. That's what I was afraid of. (laughs) I don't think it's stretching things too far here to say that we're not to keep back God's part of the tithe. Going to Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, I want to share something with you. Many people read over this and say, this is Old Testament law. We don't have to keep that today. Let me read you what God said through Malachi the prophet. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offering. You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. We read that people were robbing God by withholding their tithe from him. Well, a robber is the same thing as a thief. That's right. Robbers and thieves are both known for taking what is not theirs. In other words, stealing. Yes, and he said, thou shalt not steal. And I want to throw in something else here. We've not even mentioned those who have stolen other men's wives, stolen young ladies' innocence and purity, and the list could go on and on. There's many ways to do thievery and stealing and be a robber. And so when it says thou shalt not steal, I believe it means it in every fashion of the word. While we're here on thou shalt not steal, let me throw this in. I still strongly preach restitution. If when you get saved, you've got things that you know that you stole from someone, I believe that you need to take it back and make it right. No matter if you've had it for 10 years or not, It was not yours from the beginning. Give it back. The ninth commandment is found in Exodus 20 and 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, many people believe this command covers lying and deception and the breaking of covenants. What do you mean that most people believe those things? Are you insinuating they're wrong by believing this? No, not at all. It definitely includes those things, but a lot of people see this as the only way to interpret this command, and that's what I would take issue with. Okay. What's your take on it? It has at least three more elements within it that need to be considered. The Jews believe that this had something to do with the swearing of oaths, and Jesus pretty much cemented that thinking in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil." Jesus is telling us that a person who swears to do something and then does otherwise has borne false witness. But Jesus said it was better to not say anything than to make an oath and not keep it. That's right. And that even goes back into the vows that we've talked about not long ago here on the podcast. This command could also be understood as taking the stand to testify while knowing that your testimony is going to be fixed or untrue. This would definitely include the fact that if you know that the defendant is guilty, but you're trying to defend them, or if you know the person is innocent and you're trying to condemn them, that is bearing false witness. 
Wow. This command is much broader than I realized. Well, not many people think of it that way. Well, you know, most people I've been to church with basically believe it just means don't lie. Well, it certainly carries with it that sense. I'm not saying it doesn't mean that, but that is the lowest understanding of that. It's not the only way to understand this. I believe one more thing could be pulled from this. I believe it's saying that we're not to live the life of a hypocrite. The life of a hypocrite would be a false witness for sure. Amen. The tenth and final command is found in Exodus 20 and 17. Thou shalt not covet. This is usually understood as not wanting what other people have. There you go again. What are you talking about? You said this is usually understood as not wanting what other people have. So is this wrong? I believe it is much more specific than that. And I'm going to give you an example. If you just want what other people has, just loosely and generally in that statement, that may not be wrong. If I was eating a hamburger and you was hungry, you might want to have a hamburger like I've got. There's not something wrong with you wanting a hamburger like I have. What's wrong is when you want the hamburger that I have. I believe it's very specific. Let me give you another example. Let's say there's a guy by the name of Joe Bob. Joe Bob has a truck. Instead of you wanting a truck like Joe Bob has, you want Joe Bob's truck. That's what coveting is. Okay, let's take it even further. Say Joe Bob has a wife. Rather than wanting a wife like Joe Bob has, you want Joe Bob's wife. Hey, that makes a lot of sense. Well, a lot of people don't think of it in that manner. The way you define that makes it much more specific, too. It is a very specific commandment. The commandment of thou shalt not covet means not to desire what your neighbor has, not something similar to what he has. That doesn't mean that if you see a guy pulling a pretty bass boat down the road and you say, man, I'd like to have a boat just like that. That's different than saying, man, I wish that guy would die so I could get that boat from him. Or I wish he would park that somewhere where I could steal it from him. You want the very thing that they have when you covet. This commandment also means, though, not to love money, which is probably the most common form of covetous known. You think so? I don't just think so. I'm fully persuaded on this. How many times have you heard somebody say, I'd love to have his money. I'd do such and such if I had his money. Uh, I reckon I've heard that or something similar many times. Well, think about it. This is a desire to have somebody else's money. You're not saying I'd like to have the kind of money he has. You're saying I'd like to have his money. This can be clearly seen in business dealings. When you use extortion or high interest rates, why do you do that? Because you want other people's money. When you overcharge someone for your service, it's because of one thing. You're wanting their money. That's right. And in a sense, this could also speak of those who have been brought out of Egypt, but their heart is still there. A person that came out of sin, but their heart is still there. What are they guilty of? All right. So let's get this straight. If someone has been freed from sin, but they decide to go back to it, this is covetousness? It is, especially if they're longing to do things that other people are doing. If they're looking at the man smoking cigarettes and say, I would love to do that. If they're looking at the man coming out of the bar saying, oh, I wish I could do that. They are coveting the things that the people of the world are doing and their heart is far away from God and they're guilty of covetousness. This command speaks of someone longing for the pleasures of sin while they're trying to live as a Christian. Now that you mention it, Jesus spoke of those who put their hands to the plow and looked back. He said they're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. They're not fit for heaven because they're actively breaking the 10th commandment. Now, I know we've gone through a lot of stuff today, 
There may be some people that feels like they've been run through the press, but I want you to realize sometimes we water these commandments down by thinking, well, we know what they mean. I mean, I've heard the Ten Commandments all my life. I don't break none of them. Do you? Do you not? Before we started, some of you in the audience probably thought, well, (laughs) I ain't got nothing to worry about on this, and I don't break any of the Ten Commandments. Do you still feel that way right now? I brought in a lot of Jewish culture into what we've talked about today. Many ways of looking at these things in which we normally don't think, what if these ways are right? Not only what if, I do believe they're right. So are you guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments? You only thought you knew the Ten Commandments. Now what do you say? Great lesson today, and I only thought I knew the Ten Commandments. I've learned some stuff today. Friends, remember, if you have a Bible question or a question regarding how news and current events or things going on in our culture are connected to Scripture, drop us an email at dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. That is dkministries1977 at yahoo.com. We sure hope you've enjoyed this episode today, sharing God's Word. But until the next time, may God bless you all. Be sure and come back Monday, May the 8th, for episode number 115, From Destruction to a Marriage. done so much for me, this I know. Will it change my heart all around? Put my feet back on the ground, got along. Now for heaven I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. To that land where the milk and honey flow. Oh, I've heard of such a place. I can't go there by God's grace. Never seen it, but I know I want to go.